Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Asban, here with my friend Akhan Ruta and Gordon. Our dap today, Masach and Azir, dap nun gimel, page 53. Well, there's a very interesting passage on this particular dap uh, that sort of goes through a little bit how some of these laws about Tuma and Tower, about uh, impurity and purity, seem to have changed throughout the generations. I'm a Rabbi Eliezer. So Rabbi Eliezer says, Zikanim Harishonim, the early elders, Niksatana Yomrim, some of them would say, half a cob of bones and half a lug of blood, basically can make, uh, can transfer tuma, right, in any form. So this is, you know, something from the Torah. And so therefore, they can, even in a tent, right, even in an ohel, which is part of the context of what's being discussed here, uh, they can still impart, uh, you know, uh, too much impurity. Right? But a quarter cob of bones and a quarter log of blood, they would not transfer tuma in all forms, meaning they don't within a tent in an ohel. But some of the elders would say, even a quarter cob of bones or quarter log of blood. In all forms. So there seems to have been this early machloka. Now, again, who were these early Rishonim? But will Rabbi Eliezer, who, remember, is a um, second generation Tana, saying is, is that this seems to have been a very, very early machloka. So then the court that came after these early elders says, right? So again, that half a cob of bone and half a log of dam can transfer this type of impurity. But a quarter of bones and a quarter of log of dam with truma v'kachim only imparts impurity for truma and for kachim, for other korbanot, right? So that basically sort of this change was made where they say, we're going to say that it only impure, that it imparts impurity for specific things, Okay. And then it says, But it does not for the Nazir, meaning the Nazir wouldn't have to shave or bring any of the offerings because they became tame if they became in contact with a quarter cob of bones or a quarter lug. And also for one who needs to bring the Korban Pesach. Because remember, you had to be Tahor to bring the Korban Pesach. And um, the Chachamim, I guess, the sages wanted to make it a little bit easier. So if you came in contact with this amount of bone or blood, you still were eligible to bring the Korban Pesach. But now the Gemara says, Right now, there's a principle that they have, like a rule that the decision of a third opinion is not considered a decision. In other words, there seems to have been this compromise halakha that came out, right, that tried to resolve this by saying, okay, we, we weren't sure what to do with this quarter cob case. And so we'll make this distinction between Truma and Kajim and Pesach and Nazir. And so the Gemara is basically saying, yeah, but that, like, that's not a thing. Like, you can't just make up like a compromised position. And so the Gemara says, I'm a Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Idi. So Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Idi says, Mi Pishmua Amru. No, this was actually, it's a, it's a well-known tradition. Mi Pichagai Zachari Malachi. It came from Chagai Zachari Malachi, who you know are the three last prophets. They're in Treasar, they're in the 12 process. And this wasn't an attempt to compromise. Now, I find this to be a very odd Gemara because then what was the point of Rabbi Eliezer's statement? So was the tradition lost for a period of time? 
and then it came back. I, I almost in the way wonder if like Rabbi Yaakov Barizi, like almost needs to say like, no, we're just going to say it's a tradition because we know we can't say that it was a compromise. So I, I found this passage to be very puzzling. It doesn't like there's a there's a little bit of a lack of logic to it. Or really, it was something that was lost and then recovered, right? Meaning that's that's definitely possible, right? It's possible, but then then Rabbi Eliezer's statement doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I don't have a good solution for that. I, okay. I'm just wondering if it's like, you know, two hands not really connecting to each other type of thing. Like, Rabbi Eliezer's statement is over there, and the tradition from Chagas Malachi is over there, and as opposed to everybody having the same information all of the time, right? We know right. that they didn't always. So I wonder if that's possible. And then it gets put together in the Gemara at the same time, because it makes sense that it's all, they're talking about the same issue, but I don't know. I, I, that's not, I realize that's not satisfying either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're now onto a good mach locus on Ahmed Ben. Okay. So on Ahmed Ben, we're, we're a little bit back to our, our gore. Um, the Gemara here refers back to the Mishnah. So this is a citation from the Mishnah that the Nazir would end up shaving, meaning he would lose out on his Nizirut. He would have to end it and start again, I guess, um, if he comes in contact with a limb that was either severed from a corpse or from a living person. And then this is the, the kicker of the line, right? The amount of flesh that is on this limb is karaui, the fitting amount of flesh. And I feel like, okay, what is that really saying? And that's the machloket here. It's not really the machloket. The machloket is really about does he, in fact, have to cancel his nizirut. But the discussion here is, what would happen if it, there weren't a, a fit amount of, of, uh, of flesh on the leg? Right, on the limb, rather. Right, like, what does it mean to have basar karaui? Rabbi Yochanamar, ain't hanazir megalechalehen, veishlokishamar, hanazir megalechalehen. I mean, if you don't have the fitting amount of flesh on the limb, then Rabbi Yochanan says he doesn't have to shave, right? He can continue in his nizirut. So that's a big deal. And Rishlokish says, no, no, he does still have to shave, even if it wasn't so much. I mean, he cancels out his nizirut. So now the question is going to be, of course, you know, what is that amount that's considered the amount that is fit, um, that less than that would be not fit, and therefore Rabbi Yochanan could say that he doesn't have to shave. Right? So Rabbi Yochanan says that the whole thing, his whole position of the Nazir not shaving, not having to cancel for this limb, Right, is that he goes back to the Mishnah. He says the Tana in that first Mishnah, where he gives that list of the sources for the Tuma, for the ritual impurity, um, part of what it says is specifically Aver Minhami, a limb that was severed from the corpse, or alternatively, a limb that was severed from a living person. And again, it's got the same language. So, so far, all Rabbi Yochanan done, has done is repeat what we've already seen as a citation from the Mishnah. And then he goes on, and Kazayit. He says that it has to have on the limb the amount of a kazayat because kazayat is the amount that you would then say, ah, this is enough to render person tummy, another person tummy. So the Gemara says, basar in, aval ein alhem lo. So if there is in fact a kazayat on this limb, 
then he would have to shave. He would cancel out his nizirut. But if there's not that amount, if there isn't even a kazayat there, then according to Rabbi Yochanan, he does not need to shave. And again, he can continue. It's as if he didn't really come in contact with Tuma. I would say it's not really enough Tuma, whatever that means, to render him impure himself. And so Rish Lakish says, no, no, he, he does shave. He does end his nizirut. Namely, why? Because the Mishnah doesn't teach it later in the Sefer, in the end of the Mishnah, or the next Mishnah, really. right? Meaning, when we've got a list of the sources of impurity for which the Nazir does not shave, which we're going to see on the next stuff, it doesn't show up there. Meaning, it doesn't say that it's not on the list of the negative, so therefore it must be a requirement of the positive, basically, right? Meaning, if we have a list of these are the things for which he does shave, and it's always a little bit like head spinning because the the positive and the negatives are backwards, right? He does shave means he has to cancel his nizi root. Ostensibly, that's a negative thing. Or alternatively, he doesn't shave, which means he doesn't have to cancel his nizi root, which he continues his nizi root, which is a good thing. So when the list comes on on um, 54, right, to say, well, these are the things that he does not shave for, you would want this to be there. You would want the, the limb off the body that does not have a kazayat of of basar, you would want that to be on the list. And it's not there. So Rish Lakish says, too bad. Like, it, he has to cancel his nizi root because we, because there's no mention of the kazayat being a demarcation. But then the Gemara goes on to say, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan could have said to you, kol miklala lokatani basefa. Rabbi Yochanan can say to Rish Lakish, the fact that the Mishnah leaves it out of the list doesn't really prove that it's not it's not still an example of where he would um, where he would not have to cancel his nizirut, meaning pachot mikazayat, if it's less than a kazayat of flesh on the limb. Why? Because the moment you're worrying about the seifa, if you can understand the content of the seifa by inferring it from the previous Mishnah, then why would you need to state it explicitly to begin with? Meaning, Rabbi Yochan can defend himself against Rish Lakish by saying, you don't need to say it out loud. Um, which, the Gemara goes on to discuss, you know, again, more of the different issues of exactly these measurements and exactly this machoka between the two of them. But I think that right now, I feel like, you know, Rish Lakish had a really good point, and I feel like Rabbi Yochan kind of wins the day, right? His, his approach seems to be more uh, just a stronger, a stronger position. But that's always the dynamic between Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish, right? Like, there's, there's yeah. an element of that that's always there when they when they seem to disagree with each other. I think that's true. I think that's true. Even though sometimes we might think that Rish Lakish, you know, he's making a stronger position. He comes with a stronger claim. I think the dynamic between the two of them is usually default to Rabbi Yochanan, even if it isn't always the psaq, but like the 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 line of the discussion, so to speak. Well, that's our tap discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this tap on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 